0: Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. What is the loudest and most persistent voice in your life right now? Is it a net positive or a net negative for you? Lead teacher Jeff Norris finishes the series One Another with this sermon entitled Disciple One Another, which covers 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Perimeter Church.
1: Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, brother. Let's read aloud together our prayer of illumination. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, And inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you haven't been with us, we are finishing up today a very short three week series that we have called One Another, and appropriately so, because it's been based on the one another instructions in the bible and we're hitting three of them and really even the one that we're touching on today about discipleship you're not going to see disciple one another verbatim in the text but the implications of many instructions within the church are or within the bible for the church is that we would indeed disciple one another but uh, i'm re- recommending a resource that goes along with this this series that if you want to do a deeper dive there's a there's a great little book called uh, 31 ways to be a one another Christian by Dr. Stuart Scott. And it's a, it's a way to to just take some of the things we're hitting on here, jump in, uh, and look a little deeper into what the scriptures say on this front. A couple of weeks ago, we started out with where you have to start. If you're going to start with a one another instruction from the Bible, it has to be love one another because love is the preeminent, uh, virtue, if you will, of the church. It is the, we, we, we said it this way, that love is uh, the witness and the ethic of the church. And it is the summation of the great commandment where Jesus summarized the whole entire law by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so if we are going to be a people who love, then, then we are going to be a people marked by Christ, and dwelt by his Holy Spirit, that love like Jesus. And if we love like Jesus, then what we looked at last week is that we will then serve like Jesus. To love like Jesus is to serve like Jesus. And we looked at John 13 and how he washed the disciples' feet and humbled himself and modeled for us. He gave us something to emulate, but rooted in the gospel of how he has loved and served us. And we said this, we said, if love is the witness and the ethic of the church, then service is the attitude and the posture of the church. And so for this week, if those things are true about love and about service, then we would say this, we would say discipleship is the mission of the church. It's the way in which the kingdom grows in the way that God has designed it to grow. I want to share with you briefly, though, as we begin down this journey of considering discipleship and and discipling one another, I want to share with you where I've been over the last month and a half as I have pursued the Lord and sought Him both personally and for this church over the last few weeks and and months here. And I want to take you back to a year ago, a little over a year ago, and I I told you then I've never been a a person who uh, adopts a word for the year. And uh, I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, many people do. They say this is my word for 2023 or for whatever. And I just had never been that person who had done that. However, as I had been praying and seeking the Lord last year towards the end of 21 and beginning of 22, I sensed the Lord and my time with Him was pressing in a, a word to say, this is the word I want you to, to really sit in and, and Uh, explore in your own life and in the life of the church for 2022. And that word, as you might remember, was renewal. And and really where that was birthed from is is, as I was looking back on 2020 and 2021, um, and as I considered where we had been and the difficulty of those years and the struggle of those years, and as as I had watched uh, the church, not, not just here, but really the church abroad throughout our country, really uh, not love and serve one another well, but rather attack one another and 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 divide in some ways across certain lines and it was it was it was heartbreaking and it was a uh, it, it was hard and so going into two thousand and twenty two I sensed that the Lord was saying, sit in this this word, this concept, this truth, this beauty of us needing to be renewed, renewed in the spirit, renewed in the gospel, renewed in the word, renewed in what it means to be." A part of the kingdom of God, and what does life in the kingdom of God look like? How are we to be? What, what, is, what are we as a, as a people of God? How are we to act and live through Christ in us? And how is that so very different than the world around us? And so we spent a lot of time last year in various series looking at that and looking at the, the countercultural nature, the counterintuitive nature, the upside down nature of the kingdom of God towards this understanding. Of renewal. Well, so that for this year, I didn't set out again to adopt another word for 2023, but as I spent time with the Lord in December and into January, I sensed that he was pressing at first one word and then two words and then ultimately three words. So he's really, really uh, getting after me this year. But uh, that I have adopted for me, that's not necessarily... I'm saying, hey, you have to be here with me for the church, but maybe perhaps as you hear me walk through this over the next couple of minutes, you say, you know what? I, I think I'll, I think I'll s- settle into that as well and see what God might have for me. Here are the three words. Devoted was the first one that I began to chew on. Devoted, and here's the question that came with, with that. As I was journaling and processing, the, the, the question came to my mind. If someone could... Observe me for a week. Be with me wherever I go. Watch me. Observe me 24-7. And if they have some ability, some mysterious ability, they, they were also able to perceive my thoughts, to decipher my intentions and my motives. In other words, everything was laid bare before them. Here's the question. What might they conclude I'm devoted to? Or who might they conclude that I'm devoted to? As I shared that with a good friend and brother on staff, he, uh, he said, well, it wouldn't take seven days. It'd take about 30 minutes. And they would see very clearly some of the things that are inside of me that, uh, that I wish weren't true. And even as believers, this is those who have Jesus in us and we, we do desire the things of God in the kingdom, yet we struggle, I struggle, so much with being devoted to things that I know are not going to give life. Who or what are you devoted to? The second word is disciplined. If you know me at all, you know that uh, I have struggled ever since I can remember with being disciplined, uh, exercising regularly, Eating healthy, those kind of things. But what I mean, what I mean on this one is really in this one way of application of saying disciplined versus distracted. And really, what I'm getting at here, again, this is where God was pressing in with me is, is, and it's an easy target. It is such an easy target, but it's, it's, it's because it's true. But that little device that I carry around with me everywhere, that's in my pocket, distracts me so very badly such that really what begins to happen is that this and all that's in it and all that comes out of it is part of how I def- uh, figure out and define how, I, how and who I'm devoted to, right? The devotion and the discipline go together. Because I'm so distracted by, by this device, I find myself devoted to things that I don't want to be devoted to. Not bad things but things that take time and energy and thought away from the kingdom of God. Which leads to the third word. And the third word is discipled. God began to press into me the, the question that I've actually brought up with you guys months ago. And that is, what are you being discipled by? Because here's the reality, we're, we're all discipled by something, even if you're not in formal discipleship, right? We have these discipleship groups here. I'm gonna talk about those here in just a, a few minutes. But even if you're not in that formality, if you will, of discipleship, you, discipleship at its core is, it just simply gets at formation. What is forming us? What is, how are we being shaped? So in a sense, All of us, every single one of us are being discipled. The question becomes, who or what is discipling us? And when we kind of combine all three of those words together and the ways in which that can play out, what we we begin to see, what I begin to see in my own heart and life is that the ways in which I'm distracted cause me to be devoted to things that are ultimately discipling me. You follow? The ways in which I'm distracted cause me to be devoted to things that are ultimately discipling me. In other words, if I'm spending hours upon hours upon hours, if, if you're spending hours upon hours upon hours at something that is in your hand or perhaps some, some other device, screen or something, and through it is coming all of these voices, how much are those drowning out the voice of the Lord? In what ways is is what's distracting us, causing us to be devoted to things that are ultimately discipling us? Because whatever or whoever is the most prominent and consistent voice in your life is discipling you. Whatever or whoever is the most prominent or consistent voice in your life is discipling you. And this is why, in my opinion, it's one of the reasons, not the only reasons, but this is why, one of the reasons that the church holistically looks so very different than the early church. So very different than what God designed the church to be. I mean, if you look in Acts 2.42, it says, tells us right there what they were devoted to. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You know, you look at, in Galatians 5, you see the fruit of the Spirit, and and the last thing listed in the fruit of the Spirit is kind of what what we're getting at here with discipline, where it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and this last one here, self-control. I don't know about you, but I certainly feel within me the the ever-persistent lack of self-control. So very distracted. Our passion, our passion as a church, is to help you become a mature and equipped disciple of Christ. What does that mean? Well, here's our definition of what it means to be a kingdom disciple. A mature and equipped kingdom disciple is one who is united to Christ walking by the spirit and is being continually transformed by him in the whole person, in the whole person, which we summarize by saying head, heart and hands that we, we long for Jesus according to his word to transform our minds that we would be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and of his ways. That we would know his word, right? And, and so there's so much going on at the head level, but there's also so much going on at the heart level. Our affections, our desires, our intentions, our motives are being shaped and transformed by God. And then our hands, what we touch, what we build, what we, where we spend our time, how we serve, what we do and using our gifts that God has given us as followers of Christ, to be blessings to the world around us, that we would be mature and equipped disciples of Christ walking in the spirit and being continually transformed by him in the whole person. This is the way and design of God because I want you to think about it. What what happens upon belief in Christ, upon salvation? We talk about this over and over again. We talk about being united to Jesus. It was in that definition there that we're united to him. Well, that means that before Christ, before faith in Jesus, we were were united, as it were, to sin. Uh, We only had one nature. And that nature was, was a sinful nature. It was sometimes called in the Bible the flesh And that nature does not desire God. It desires the things of the flesh. It desires the opposite of what God desires. And that's what we're born into. That's who we are apart from the pardoning grace and salvation of God through Jesus Christ. But then when God opens our eyes, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and we behold him with eyes of faith, we believe upon him, and he indwells us and he, the biblical word, justifies us. In other words, it's like we're in a, in a courtroom before God and he declares us innocent based on the finished work of Jesus, not based on us. And so we believe upon Jesus and the, the most amazing reality of our salvation is that the spirit of the living God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, indwells us and unites us to Christ giving us a new nature, being born again. That's what being born again talks about, that we're born into a new nature. And in this new nature, we have new desires. We have a new mind, a new heart, no longer a heart of sin and that, is, that is a hardened heart, but a, a, a heart that is now full of life for the things of God. But here's the struggle. The struggle is the old nature doesn't go away. We still battle it every day. It's still there. Even though we're a new person in Jesus, the old man, as the scripture says, is still present. So this is why we have to be discipled. Because the Bible calls this process, once we've come to faith in Jesus and been justified, now we're on this journey with God from the moment we believe upon him until the day that we die to be in glory with him. Or until he returns, if that comes first. We're in this process, this journey, day-to-day journey with the Lord that the Bible calls sanctification. Big word that just means being made, formed, discipled, shaped more into the image of Christ. That he is from one degree of glory to another here on this earth, making us more like him until we're in full glory with him on that day. So we have to be discipled because we're warring every day with our old nature. And here's the critical question, which one are we going to feed? Which man are you going to feed inside of you? I know that sounds weird, but the two natures that, that are pictured before us. And the struggle is that we're so distracted, either knowingly or unknowingly, we keep feeding that old self. And then trying to do life together as Christians while we're starving the new nature. If we spend hours upon hours upon hours letting other voices be the most persistent and loudest in our life, and it's not the word of God, and it's not the people of God, and it's not God himself through prayer, then how and in what ways are we being shaped? So as we look at this text, this classic text, of discipleship. I want to read it again, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. We had it read once. I want to read it again, just it's short. It's always good to hear it a second time. This is the Apostle Paul, encouraging, teaching, admonishing Timothy, his young protege in the faith. He's teaching him: this is how I want you to build the church that you're pastoring. He says this, verse one, you then, chapter two of 2 Timothy, you then my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I'm gonna give you three points. The first one is this, discipleship is rooted in grace, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't begin with Timothy in this, in broaching this subject. He doesn't begin with, okay, so here's what I want you to do in terms of the process. He starts with the gospel. He starts with grace. And he says, it's in this very grace that is in you through Christ Jesus that I want you to be strengthened. In other words, the task that I'm calling you to, the task that the Lord is calling you to, is a hard task. You must enter it with strength, not just once, but over and over again, continually going back to the grace of God as your strength. Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying all of, he's reminding him all of God's work from beginning to end is just that. It's God's work. It's not our work. He uses us but it's ultimately his work. From the moment, even before we knew that we wanted or desired Jesus, from the very beginning of when he began to call us into faith, from then until the very end when we're with Christ, it's all a work of the Lord. Our salvation, both in, the, in that moment of justification where we're justified before him, as, as innocent before him, as forgiven before him, is declared righteous before him, Through this whole sanctification process, it's all an act and a work of God's grace. And that's wonderful news for us because it frees us up. It means that I'm not responsible for the work. Only thing he's calling me to is to be faithful, to walk in the work that he has planned for me. And the work is to make disciples. But I'm not responsible. God is responsible for the heart change, for the work in the other person's life. My responsibility is to be faithful to the calling that is given to every believer as disciples of Christ. You may be even wondering, I'm kinda of new to this and so I don't even really understand what grace is. How can I be strengthened by it and what is it exactly? Grace is, you may have heard it defined before, is in a nutshell, it's, it's undeserved merit. It's, it's us getting what we don't deserve. But I would push it just a little bit further and say this. It's not just that we're getting something we don't deserve, it's that we are getting the exact opposite of what we do deserve, fully and completely, 180 degrees. And so I'll illustrate it with this. I've shared this before, but if you've heard it before, maybe it's good to hear it again, and if you haven't, then hopefully it helps you conceptualize it a little bit better. Imagine you're a college student, and you have a class that you're supposed to go to, but you haven't gone to one class over the course of the entire semester. You haven't done one ounce of work for the class. You haven't read any part of the assignments and you know nothing about the subject. For whatever reason, just stay with the analogy, you go to the final. Don't know why, but you do. And you, and you get there and you walk into this classroom, the test is before you, and you are so completely incapable of doing anything with the subject matter that you just write your name on it and turn it in. Again, I don't know why you do that, but you do. But you, the only ink on the paper is your name. a few days later you get all the results of your classes for that semester and as you look at those results you see next to this particular class 100 a plus and you go oh man this is this is clearly clearly a mistake and even though you haven't had a conscience the entire semester you develop one in that moment <laughs> and you go to your professor you find your professor during his or her business hours and his office hours and so you go there and you just say, "Hey, hey, I got to, I got to make something right here that's clearly not right." And you say, "You know, I, I, I did nothing. I, I, I earned a zero, but next to my name it says 100 A plus." Your professor says, uh, "No, that's that's right." And you say, I, no, "No, I don't think you understand." You explain it again, and professor says, no, no, "There's no mistake here. That's correct." And you say, "Well, I don't. I, I'm just really having a hard time figuring out what's going on here." What? What's happening? And, and your professor just looks at you and says, well, I took the test for you. And you go, why? Your professor says, grace. But here's the problem we have even with that is, is reality is this. What the Bible teaches us is that we come to the table of salvation, as it were, and even our whole, any work of God in our life, we come to the table with nothing. We we come with the zero. But here's the problem, we think we come with more than that. What we think, to use the analogy, is we think that we show up to the class having done some work, but not enough, and we made a 50. And what we bring before the professor is, hey, yes, this is failing, and yes, I, I, I need help here, but I mean, I did some, I did some of, I, mean, I didn't do terrible, I just did bad. And we, do, do we not approach God like that? We, we think there's some level of goodness in us. We think there's something that is redeemable about us, and so it's as if we present to God our 50s. And, and then why we need Jesus is, is not so much that, Jesus, you would get me to 100, but that I just, okay, I believe upon you because then you'll get me in. You'll, you'll pass me. And so Jesus gets us to the 75, and, and then he says, okay, look, that's as far as I'm going to take you. It's up to you to work out the rest and show me that you're worth what I invested in you. And so then we spend the rest of our lives in this work-based performance reality where To begin with, we thought we worked something into the equation to start with, but it wasn't enough. Jesus got us over the hump, and now we're working to prove that we're worthy of his love. And we call that Christianity. And we call that grace. And that is not Christianity, and that is not grace. What grace is, is that we warranted for ourselves complete and utter wrath from God because of our sin. We deserve the zero, we deserve the punishment of the zero, and Jesus did not just some of the work, he did all the work. Perfect in our place, died in our place, rose from the dead in our place, granted to us not through anything that we do, but only through faith. That's the gospel. This is Ephesians 2, this is, by grace you have been saved, not by works. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. If we're gonna boast about anything, we boast. About Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're amazing. Your grace is so very overwhelming. And that grace, that grace, when it begins to settle in our hearts and we begin to be enamored with the the immensity that God would love me and save me and rescue me from my sin, it does something to us. It doesn't just cause us to be in awe, which is amazing. And it doesn't just cause us to go, wow, it, here it is, verse one, it strengthens us. That grace that saved us is the very grace that sanctifies us. It's the the grace that God uses to strengthen us for the work that he does, which sounds weird, but that's how it works. And so Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, look, I'm about to give you an instruction that's going to be incredibly difficult. It's a hard calling to, to continually pour out your life to make disciples, but Timothy, church, the strength for it comes from the gospel of grace. Be strengthened by the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he says, verse two, and what you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others Also, second point is that discipleship is designed to multiply. It's designed by God to multiply, to be exponential in impact. There's a myriad of ways in which the kingdom of God grows. One of them is what's happening right now. The preaching of his word in the gathered body of believers, the singing together is discipleship. We're discipling one another as we sing truth over one another. If we understand discipleship to be at its core formation, then we understand that there's many, many ways in which we as the people of God are formed and shaped. But the primary model that Jesus gave us, the primary way in which the kingdom of God grows is spiritual multiplication. It's us doing what we call life-on-life missional discipleship, relational discipleship in the lives of one another, pressing the gospel and the goodness and the presence of Jesus into each other's hearts and minds and lives in ways that only come through relationship. Pursuing each other's hearts, helping each other out when the other is struggling, walking alongside of each other in such a way to where we together are locking arms and moving towards Jesus. This is Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Why would he start with that? Because he's saying, look, I'm the one who does the work. So therefore you go and make disciples of all nations. The primary verb in that sentence is make disciples. The implication is as you are going. So God may call you to go somewhere, but most of the time he's calling us to make disciples where we are. Discipleship in its purest of forms is simply those who love Jesus investing and imparting their lives and faith in others. Who will then turn around and do the same with others. Beautiful picture that Paul gives Timothy here. What you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses... Turn and do the same thing, invest in faithful men and trust the word of the, of the Lord, the, the gospel, the, the Bible, the truth, the way of life in the kingdom of God Entrust trust it to faithful men. In another place, Paul instructs Timothy, he says, older men invest in younger men, older women invest in younger women. Raise them up through the power of Christ within you that they may turn around and do the same. Life on life, missional discipleship. But then listen to what he says next. I wonder if Timothy saw this coming. Surely having been discipled by Paul, he knew what was coming. Because what he says next is he says, verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The third thing to, to mark this morning, to remember this morning, is that discipleship is an invitation to suffer. Really? (laughs) Seems a little dramatic, right? I thought we were just talking about meeting once a week and studying the Bible together and praying together and pressing the gospel into our lives together. At some level, yes. But I don't want you to miss what Paul was telling Timothy and what's true for the majority of Christians in the world today. And that is to invest our lives in others to make disciples the kingdom of God is a risky endeavor. He goes on in the following verses to give three vivid pictures of people who have to give up a lot to achieve where they're headed and the fruit that comes from it. He he talks about a soldier in this verse. He says, like a soldier of Christ Jesus. What's true of a soldier? Soldier has, has to allow himself to be denied civilian freedoms. Then he talks about an athlete What's true of an athlete? An athlete trains with a singular focus and abides by the rules. Then he talks about a farmer. What is a farmer? Farmer is someone who works hard through all climates and eventually, not immediately, receives the fruit of his labors. Here's the point. The point is that discipleship is an invitation that fundamentally is true for all believers, regardless of the circumstances that we might face. The fundamental truth for all believers to be invited into suffering with Jesus, to share in his sufferings, is that it's it's a call to die to self. Jesus said it very clearly. He said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Follow me where? Follow me in what way? Follow me in the way of Jesus. The earliest Christians were known as the way before they were known as Christians. What way? The way of Christ. What is the way of Christ? The way of Christ is denial of self, taking up the cross, dying to self for the sake of others, that others may know Jesus, be shaped and formed into his likeness through the service of discipleship that we give. We being those who already know Jesus. Every Christian is is a disciple of Jesus. The question is not, are you a disciple? The question is, are you making disciples? But as I mentioned, for, for many in the world today who are Christians, it is absolutely, it is absolutely a call to suffer in the, in the most significant of ways. I'll never forget uh, 13 years ago, 2010, I had taken a short trip, a vision trip with a small group of people over to China and it was back when crew missionaries could get into that country and no longer, no longer are they allowed. But I had spent some time a good bit of time in, in, in China over the years and various trips. And in, on this particular one, the, the mission, as it were, was just to, to go and encourage our, long, our long-term missionaries. Encourage them, strengthen them as best we could. Part of the trip, though, was meeting some of the students that they had been able to lead to Christ. And I will absolutely never forget one conversation that I had. I was meeting with this one young man, 21 years old. In a little coffee shop, and we began to talk, and I'm getting to know him. And it, at a certain point, he stops me and he says, "Hey, just, just I just want to make sure that I have this correctly. So, am I understanding right that that you discipled Patrick, and Patrick discipled Jimmy, and Jimmy shared the gospel with me and is discipling me? Is that is that kind of how it went?" And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, for the most part, yeah." And tears began to roll down his face, and he just looked at me through the tears and said, "Thank you." And it was so incredibly humbling, because as I began in my mind to think back about my discipleship of Patrick, it, it was it was ungood. It was it was it was not good discipleship. It was so hit or miss, and I felt like he was not there was not a whole lot to glean from my life. And it was like, man okay, God, you can, you can use anybody and you can bring this young man now brother in the faith to to Christ because of this broken, messy lineage of half-hearted investment. And, And as we continued talking, I asked him where he was from. And he told me, and he was from a small village on the far Western side of the country, very much in the Muslim territory of China. I said, what are you gonna do after you graduate? He said, I'm gonna go back home. So what are you gonna do there? And he said, I don't know, but I know this. I'm gonna share the gospel with everybody in my village. And I paused and I said, will your life be in danger if you do that? And he smiled, (laughs) 21 years old. And he said, oh, yes. But it's worth it for Jesus. It is a call to suffer. It may look different for us, But to give up our lives on this side of heaven, knowing that the reward is in heaven, it's so very worth it. And what is that reward? It's the glory of Jesus. It's standing around the throne of Jesus with those who God has used in our broken mess to disciple. And together we're looking at one another and going, isn't this unbelievable? Look at him. Look at him. Can you believe he used me in your life? and him? What a mess we were, but Jesus for all of eternity. This is is the call of the Christian to make disciples and it's not about us. It's all about him. It's all about his glory. And there's this old old, uh, quote that's been used for centuries in the church. And it was originally, at one point, attributed to Martin Luther, and then it was attributed to Thomas Watson, and then it was attributed even further back to Ignatius of Loyola. Who knows who said it? But it rings so very true, and here's what it it says. God uses crooked sticks to strike straight blows for his kingdom. I go, yes and amen. I'm that crooked stick, he's making me straight, Slowly but surely, but regardless of me and my brokenness, he uses me and he uses you, if you know Jesus, to strike straight blows for his glory and for his kingdom. Here's a few next steps. Here's what you can do from here. You can go online and you can... Uh, go to perimeter.org/slash discipleship and fill out an interest form. There's a season in which we open up discipleship for people to come in, but even, even so, our staff will come alongside you and, and help you get plugged in. Secondly, pray about being a leader. We have so many people that want to be in our formal discipleship groups, but not enough leaders. And part of it is because of what I'm just talking about: it's like, man, can I really be used by God? Can I really be used by God? We'll help you get there. There's a class that we offer coming up, uh, Biblical Foundations Workshop, April 22nd. It's for current leaders or potential leaders. Make note of that. But church, let's be a people who are engaged in the mission of God, who are seeking to make disciples. It'll be messy, it won't be perfect, but it'll glorify God. Father, would you do your work in us and through us? Would you do what only you can do in building your kingdom? Thank you for the great truth of this passage that reminds us that it's your grace, it's your work. We thank you for calling us to be people who walk in your footsteps through your power within us to make disciples. And may we be willing to give up, to give up what we would naturally want to be about in order to be about your ways and your kingdom. May we die to self. May we experience more of you in the process. Be praised even now as we worship you, O God. May we sing to you with our whole hearts as those who have been ransomed by the blood of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together